brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Matt and I are shocked, saddened, horrified, and disturbed by the events that took place at the Tree of Life Synagogue here in our hometown of Pittsburgh in the Squirrel Hill community. Words can't express the way we feel about this. It's senseless. It's horrifying. I myself am part of the Jewish community here in Pittsburgh, and I am proud to be a member of that community today and always. Our hearts and our souls and our thoughts and our prayers go out to everybody affected by the shooting. Hate has no home here. Not now, not ever. Hey everybody, it's Lisa, your host of I for I podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different. So we asked all of you for the last couple weeks to call in with your favorite scary stories, favorite creepy pastas, uh, favorite Halloween tales, anything really that's generally spooky that you'd like to share with us. We got a few really great stories to share with you guys today and I'm so excited. So without further ado, I'm gonna let the stories speak for themselves. Happy Halloween, everyone. I was like kind of panicking a bit because I was like, why do I feel like this? So I turn around 
And every time I turned around, I would see a figure, like a grown man, uh, dressed up in Halloween costume, hide behind, like, a tree or behind the house or behind whatever, every single time. So every time we'd go up a house, this person would be two houses behind us, like, creepily following us up the hill. And it was really starting to freak me out because I'm like, oh, shit, am I seeing things now? Like, this is, like, so creepy. Why is he following us? Makes no sense. Is anyone else seeing this? I don't know what to do. Like, I'm in a panic attack. It's so creepy. And he's doing it for a while. Like, he's literally, like, following us up the hill. And so I asked my friends, I'm like, yo, do you see this man? Or am I imagining things? Like, what's going on here? And they're like, no, dude, that's Mr. Johnson. He's fucking, I don't know why he's following us up the hill. And we finally got to Allison's, or my friend's house. And uh, it was my friend Allison. And we got to her house, and we went inside, and she was gone. He didn't, like, follow us all the way to the house. But it was so uncomfortable and so creepy because we were just like, why? But it was so creepy, and he was such a weirdo for that. I mean, he's a, he's a good man, but, like, I don't know why he thought that. I mean, he wanted to scare us, of course. But it was just the creepiest thing that stuck in my mind forever. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I can't wait for you to hear all the rest of the scary stories. They're bombs. Let's go. I'm Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending Podcast, and I wanted to tell you guys a ghost story. So, growing up, my dad had a best friend named Annette, and when they were teenagers, they would hang out and they would do everything together, and he lived in a small town called Amelia on the east side of Cincinnati. And one night he was riding his bike home. His mom told him that he had to come home for dinner, so he was trying to get home rather quickly. So he's riding along, riding along, and there was this building that always creeped him out, so he never looked up at the building, especially at nighttime. Well, for some reason, that night something told him that he needed to look up at that building, and just at the moment that he did, he saw Annette standing in the top window of the building, and from what he tells us, she he could see her exact outfit, what she was wearing, and she made eye contact with him. And he said it just kind of scared him, so he rode his bike faster and got home. Well, when he got home, his mom and his sister were in the living room, and they were pretty upset. They were crying. They turned to him and asked him if he had heard what happened. He had no idea what they were talking about, so he kept asking them, and finally one of them was able to compose herself enough to tell him like hey you know we just got the phone call Annette's dead she died in a car crash about an hour ago and my dad said that the creepiest part about it was the fact that the clothes that she had on when she crashed or when she was in the accident were the same clothes that he saw her wearing in the window that day he hadn't seen her earlier that day He had no way of knowing what she was wearing, but he was able to tell them specifically what she had on because of what he saw in that window. Now, I don't know if you guys believe in this kind of stuff or not, but the emotion that my dad showed when he was telling us the story makes me believe 100% that he saw that. I don't know why, I don't know how, but I really believe that it happened. And even to this day, if we drive past that building you can tell that it affects him. He gets kind of creeped out by it, I guess. And today it's actually a museum, which is really weird. It's like an art 
art museum or art gallery or something like that. So it's a little bit weird, but that's the story I have for you guys. I'd like to hear you guys' feedback on it. If you guys have anything similar, definitely visit my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram page. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. My name is Karen Wickiam, and I am the host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and Unequal Pod. I saw that Lisa had put out a little call to arms for spooky stories. So I got in touch with her, and here I am to tell one of my little stories. I've done paranormal investigating for a long time. I've always had an amazing, incredible interest in it. I lived in a couple of haunted houses, and I always seemed to be surrounded by spirits, ghosts, and unusual happenings, so to speak. Never was really all that scared. I was more curious than anything. And I think my family thought that I was a little, well, maybe I had some problems because I would talk to corners or talk to people in the room or look around at stuff and I guess they figured that maybe I had some pretty I guess they figured out that I had some imaginary friends I did but this was not the case for for many of the discussions I had with the other side believe it or not that was my experience as I got older and went to university I lived in a haunted house there so here's my story of my university haunted house I worked at a really busy bar in a, on a beach town here in Ontario, and I was about to go off to university. This guy that I worked with there was going to the same university as me. And we said, Hey, why don't we find a place and live together? We were just friends. And of course we waited way too long and went down two days before university was to start and found that there was really no place to live. So we were starting to panic a bit. We had slept in the back of his van for one night on, on a mattress and we're like, oh crap, what are we going to do? Anyway, we scoured the papers and long story short, we found an old house just outside the downtown region. The area wasn't too bad. There was a big museum really close by, a shopping center and a police station. You could see directly from our backyard. thought, okay, it ain't pretty but seems like a pretty safe neighborhood. This was an old, old house and had been split into two separate apartments. One was cheaper than the other. In fact, this guy was looking to sell this place overall and have it demolished and, you know, new property put up there. So the place was a bit decrepit. He showed us the apartment on the first main floor. What I'm about to tell you is the honest to God's truth. He was offering this apartment for $300 a month, which is super cheap, even in those times, back in the early 90s. Yes, I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> so, I don't know why he thought it was okay to show an apartment like this, but he did. Without a word of a lie, there was a pentagram on the floor and candles around this pentagram. There were pentagrams on the wall and different satanic symbols in what looked like was done in blood. Yes, blood. And I figured that it really might have been blood, not just because it kind of smelled rank in there, 
but there were some evidence of chickens that had once been in there, feathers all over the place and a couple of carcasses, empty rum bottles, things like that. It's kind of scary. He's like, well, if you clean it up, I'll give you the first month free. No, no, no. We're not messing with this. This is some scary stuff, but we were so desperate. So we thought, okay, well, let's go upstairs and check up the upstairs part. It was a big, long staircase all the way up. Dark. The light didn't work there. Went up to the top. But this place was not so bad. It was relatively clean. Again, it was old, but it was clean. And had a nice big kitchen area, two bedrooms, nice front hallway. Again, it was old, but it was was relatively clean. So we thought, hey, man, this is great. Let's take it. And that's what we did. We took it. We got it cleaned up and settled in how we liked it. And we started to notice that we were feeling kind of sick when we were at home. And my roommate and I started to get really cranky with each other and neither that was not our personalities he was a laid-back kind of guy and you know I was pretty laid-back myself and we really started like snipping at each other after a while then one night we were sitting watching tv and the alarm went off even though it had been set for 7 a.m it went off just on its own and of course we were freaking out and he's like why'd you touch my alarm clock you know that's the only way I can get up in the morning I'm like I didn't touch it man he's like oh yeah yeah right so yeah we were snipping again Another time I had gone into the kitchen to grab something and all the burners were on full blast. I have no idea why. I asked Walter and he was like, well, I don't know. And I don't think he believed me until he came in and saw all the burners were like glowing molten red hot. Okay. So that freaked me out. Turn those off. And so I got a cat cause I thought it might make me feel a bit better. And this cat started to go rangy. It was looking around all over the place, uh, jumping at things, chasing things. And it actually didn't make me feel all that much better. <laughs> but yeah, having a little cat did, did in one sense, but another sort of reinforced that, holy crap, I think this place is haunted. I told my roommate that and he was going to school to be a lawyer. So he kind of went like, whatever. Anyway, I decided to check out the attic one day yes that typical thing where you're going up the steep stairs and you open it up this place must have been a hundred years old and so I went up and poked my head in had the flashlight looking around and it was what you'd expect dirty had some stuff stored up there really dusty spider webs a whole bit but there were some pictures that I found and I took those down and it was of a family, but the mother, who I suspect would be the mother's face, was cut out. And one of the little kids' was faces was scratched out, looked like with a pin or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Showed it to my roommate, and he was like, yeah, that is a bit weird. So things continued to happen. I was cooking on uh, a pot on the stove one day, and it kind of went flying off. I'm like, no, that's just not good. And... The poltergeist activity continued to happen. There were taps that would turn off and on. There were burners that would come on. The shower curtains would move around. Things would fall. This just continued to happen over and over. Again, we were stuck there. And it got to the point that my roommate fully believed and we ended up in the living room 
with our separate mattresses on the floor and sleeping in there, like scared out of our minds every night. And again, when we were there, we were so sick, like the flu sick. And within five minutes of leaving the house, we were like completely clear. And take in mind, I was 18 at the time. So I was super healthy. There was no reason why I would feel unwell. The icing on the cake for me was when one night I woke up crossing the street in my pajamas. Apparently I'd woken up, walked down those dark, scary stairs, opened up the front door, went through the porch, opened up that door and started to cross the street. I was like terrified. I had never slept walk in my life. I've never been a great sleeper. So that made no sense. So now I'm like freaking out. The other thing on top of that is that my roommate was not home. And when I went back to my house, the door was locked and I couldn't get in. I had to go to the police station that was in our backyard, try to explain that I locked myself out when in my pajamas. The police were just like, oh, all right, very strange. They came back with me. We called a locksmith and I got back in. And miraculously, when I walked through the door, the light of the staircase was on. Only the bulbs have never been changed. And I don't even know where the electrical box would have been. So that was kind of it for me. My roommate came back after a weekend and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm out of here. I, I can't do this anymore. It's just far too scary. And he's like, well, I can't carry this place on my own. So what did we do? We got in touch with a paranormal investigator and they brought in a medium and we did a whole sort of house cleansing thing. And they sort of helped protect us from whatever the hell had gone on downstairs and explained that it was likely whatever activities had happened down there had opened up a whole can of whoop ass, boo ass, <laughs> uh, upstairs in our apartment. So the activity definitely died down after that. There's still some stuff going on, but it didn't feel as scary as dark. So we finished out our year at university and moved out of that place as fast as we could. My roommate months after had to be all like cool again and say, oh, well, I think it was all in our heads and that kind of thing. And I thought, no, you don't believe that. And for me, it was just another case where I lived in a haunted location and that's it. I'm not sure what the pictures had to do with the situation. I don't know if the pictures had anything to do. Was it a mother? Was it a child? Or was it something demonic and scary that had absorbed through the downstairs to the upstairs? I don't know. But yeah, that's my story. Never really figured it out. Never really questioned it. And from there on, my curiosity continued and led to paranormal investigation. I wish looking back that I had the knowledge now that I did then, because I think I would have captured some pretty cool stuff. But anyway, that's my story. It's a bit long-winded. I hope that's okay. And I want to thank Lisa and I for an eye for letting me tell my story. Have a great and spooky and safe Halloween.
Hello, this is faithful love and listener John Nathan calling to report my favorite creepy pasta would be rigatoni, um, but also maybe a mm, paranormal experience. Let's see, paranormal. So 2005, I was moving from Podunk, Oklahoma to Oklahoma City with then-boyfriend Josh. We were driving a U-Haul and got to the very east end of Oklahoma City and thought, oh, we've made it. Great. As soon as we pull up, this giant flash of light comes through the sky. We swear it was a UFO. So we get to the other end of the city. By that time we get there, turn behind us, every single light in Oklahoma City had been out. The entire electrical circuit had broke, and nobody had power for 11 days. It was my first week there. Um, and let's see, creepiest encounter. I've definitely had several of those, but I did have one time a creepy encounter at a local bar in Pittsburgh called P-Town where a man came in very suspiciously um, to where all of our spidey senses were off. Later then threatened most of the bar with uh, ignorant actions outside, but with my quick wit and cunning nerve, I was able to deflect the... In, Intruder and have the bar evacuated before anything disastrous happened. Also, one time I ran my car into a dead body. Okay, love you, bye. Hi, Lisa. This is Scott Fuller of the Frozen Truth Podcast and of Status Pending, which I co-host with Heather Wright, and I am happy to somewhat drunkenly contribute to your creepy episode with a totally true but possibly not true because I wasn't there ghost story. Uh, the date is, actually, I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. And again, I wasn't there. But the place is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And for anyone who may not know, the Stanley's where Stephen King was staying while he wrote The Shining, which I think is true. Uh, I do know for sure that's where the movie was filmed that everyone has seen. Excellent performance by Jack Nicholson. But anyway, the real-life Stanley is a very impressive hotel in Estes Park in Colorado. It's beautiful. It doesn't look anything like it does in the movie. The movie, it, it makes, it creeps it out. It really is a jaw-dropping white building when you see it in real life. It's amazing. I've never stayed there, but my sister and my mother have, and here is their Stanley ghost story. And of course, ghost stories persist in the Stanley Hotel because of The Shining, but all it's, it's kind of weird because I'm not aware of anyone actually dying there in real life, but it's the Stanley, so obviously it's haunted. Many people believe this to be true anyway. So my sister is a freelance journalist, which I know sounds like a made-up job, but apparently it's a real thing. She goes around writing articles about restaurants and hotels in exchange for which she gets free meals and free stays. All of it sounds very fishy to me. I fully expect any day for her to be indicted on tax fraud or something, but this is how she got to stay for free at the Stanley Hotel in Estes. So she invited my mom to join her on this adventure. It was a king room, one bed, uh, but a large room at the Stanley. So they go and they do their thing in Estes for the day, and they retire to their room for the night. So they're sharing a king bed, mind you, and this is where at some point in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, my mom is awakened when my sister gets up and walks to the bathroom at 3 a.m., which sometimes one is wanted to. And the next morning, my 
sister is uh, on her laptop writing her article, and she's kind of talking out loud, running down the list of how was the service, how was the ambiance, how she slept. And my sister says out loud, like, I slept, that whatever that bed was, was amazing, because I slept like a My phone is dying. I slept like a baby, she said. And my mom remembers her trip to the bathroom at this point and says, I, I would have slept all night, too, except you, you got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And my sister says, I, I slept the way, what are you talking about? I slept like a rock. And my mom turns around. Part two of my story, where, where was I? So my sister, the next morning, is on her laptop. I think I got here. She's writing the article, and she's running down the list of the service and the food and the ambiance in her sleep. And my sister says, whatever that bed was, it was amazing. I slept like a baby. And my mom remembers my sister had gone to the bathroom at 3 o'clock the night before. So she said, I would have slept all the way through the night, but you got up at 3 to go to the bathroom. And my, my sister says, I, what are you talking about? I slept like a rock. And my mom turns around and looks at her and says, I saw you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I mean, you walked across my field of vision to the bathroom. And that's when my sister stops typing. And she looks up and says, Mom, I didn't get up last night. And that is the story of the haunted bathroom or the haunted bathroom ghost or the ghost that has to go to the bathroom often at the Stanley Hotel which I'm sure is 100% true and in no way is wine-induced at all. But there it is. Lisa, keep up the great work, and thank you for listening to my story. Hello, Eye for an iPod. This is Carla from Go Postal Podcast. I just wanted to share a quick ghost story with you. Uh, so there was one night I was sleeping and my laptop was closed, but it tried starting up on its own several times. So it makes that like disk drive sound when it was when it was trying to boot up and then make that turn on sound. And it kept doing this over and over and over again. And it kept doing it enough that I woke up, I opened up my laptop and there was nothing strange with it. It just turned on normally. Um, but like I said, it was closed, so it shouldn't have done this. Well, then later that night, I heard a distinct like a, a rapping on the wall, and it wasn't on any of the doors. It was on the interior of the house. Okay, still kind of strange, and uh, I have hardwood floors, and same night, uh, a little bit after I heard the rapping sound, I heard uh, kind of like someone standing uh, in the corner of my room, rocking back and forth, like from toe to heel, toe to heel, uh, just standing in place, rocking back and forth on the floorboards. Um and then we um, had a distinct smell coming from the kitchen, like someone had been making food all night. And nobody had been up. Everybody had been asleep. And I talked with my roommate, and she had heard the rapping sound as well and had smelled the food cooking. And uh, we decided to name our little ghost Chef Gouardi. Uh We promptly stayed at the house the next day, and we haven't had any activity since. But, yeah, that was kind of a, a creepy night full of, bizarre activities going on um and then another time i decided to do my own paranormal investigation in this haunt or in this um abandoned church and it had been abandoned since 1962 this was way out in the middle of nowhere tennessee you could it was so dark you could see the milky way uh so my friend and i get there about nine o'clock at night it's dark and there's two graveyards outside of this abandoned church 
the doors had been ripped off, most of the windows broken. Um, but there were still pews in there. The pulpit was still there. And, you know, there was graffiti and litter from other people having been there. So we set up a Ouija board because we're brilliant and some candles. And uh, my friend started recording on her phone to see if we could get any uh, voice activity. And we're holding the Ouija board. Don't hear anything. The planchet doesn't move. And all of a sudden I hear it. And I, my eyes go really wide and I look at my friend. I'm like, what was that? She's like, it was my stomach, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, so we keep going and all of a sudden we hear some footsteps in the back of the church and we both look at each other like, oh, hell no. So we move the planchet to goodbye. We say goodbye to the spirits. Say thank you for your time. Pack up the Ouija board. And as we're picking up the box, the planchet. This is Carla from Go Postal again. Sorry, uh, got cut off in the middle of my other story. But uh, as I was saying, we were packing up the Ouija board um, and we're about to leave. We picked up the box and the planchette to the Ouija board flies out of the box and falls back onto the floor where we had had it. Um, and my friend had very much closed the box. Uh, so something was really wanting to talk to us. And we immediately ran out of this abandoned church. So, yeah, that was also uh, a pretty fun experience. Well, I hope this helps. Thank you. Bye. Hello, I'm Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending Podcast. And tonight I'm going to tell you guys a story from the Big Book of Ohio Ghost Stories written by James A. Willis. Now, most of you already know that I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so I find all of the creepy and haunted places very interesting. So I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about the boy on the bike. And since... James does a much better job telling the story than I do. I'm just going to read you a little passage from his book. So, sitting outside of Cincinnati in Colerain Township is Buell Road. It's a twisty, turny road that winds its way through some rather dense woods. And this is part of the Hamilton County Park District. All in all, it's rather hard to negotiate in places. And even in the broad daylight, it can be difficult. At night, you really need to focus on the road, since you can never really be sure what's around the corner. So as the story goes, late one night, a young boy made the decision to ride his bicycle down Buell Road. As he was approaching the curvy part of the road, a car coming from the other direction took the turn too wide and struck the boy, killing him. Ever since that tragic night, the boy's ghost still rides his bike down Buell Road. It is said that if you want to see the ghost, you need to park your car on the street portion of Buell Road, facing the first turn. Turn off your ignition and flash your lights three times, making sure you leave them off after the third flash. Then, sit quietly. And if all goes right, you will see the ghost of the little boy on a bicycle come riding up behind your car. While the notion of being able to summon a ghost simply by flashing your headlights might sound appealing, James states that he can advocate trying this on Buell Road for himself. He says it's a very twisty road and cars have been known to exceed the speed limit and on some regular basis. So if you're sitting in the middle of the road with your car completely turned off and no headlights on, you're just inviting an accident. So he recommends that you don't try it. However, this story's been around since the late 1990s, and it wasn't until 2002 that a new wrinkle was added to the ghost story. Now, it's said that if you see the boy on the bike coming toward you, you must turn your headlights back on before he reaches your car. 
If you don't, then you'll die in seven days. Now, although this is kind of intriguing, it's clearly an addition based on the movie The Ring, which was released in October 2002. And those of you who aren't familiar with the movie, it's a central part of the plot that involves people seeing a disturbing video and then dying exactly seven days after viewing it. Though not directly related to the ghost story, Buell Road was indeed the site of a tragic accident. On May 29, 2007, Northwest High School student Chad Metzger left the school parking lot in his black Cavalier with four of his classmates inside. Police believe that speed may have been what caused the Metzger car to cross the center line and then leave the road to crash into several trees near the 3100 block of Buell Road. Two students that were riding in the back seat, Miranda Phelps and Lauren Dietz, were killed in the crash. Shortly afterward, a roadside memorial was erected at the site of the accident. The memorial is still visible today and is visited by friends and family on a regular basis. Even total strangers have come here to pay their respects and leave small tokens of their appreciation. And while there is absolutely nothing to suggest that the accident was a result of the teens looking for ghosts, the tragic event still brings people to the site. Once there, the idea that Buell Road might be haunted inevitably pops up, allowing the ghost story to live on. So is Buell Road really haunted? It's hard to say with certainty, but when you take a look at all the facts associated with the road, things don't quite add up. But then again, with ghost stories, they rarely do. Hi, Elisa. This is Darren from the True Crime Collective. I've got a story for you, and the first time I heard this story absolutely gave me the creeps. So, a couple of years ago, there's this couple, and they decide they want a night out. So, uh, they ring and they speak to their babysitter, and they arrange for the babysitter to come round on a Friday evening. So, when the Friday comes and the babysitter comes round, by the time she gets there, the children are actually asleep in bed. So, they say to her, they say, well, basically, just, you know, sit downstairs and just keep a listen out kids need anything sort them out otherwise you know you're basically just here just to um you know just in case they need anything and we'll be back later on this evening if you need us give us a call but we'll be back later on tonight so after about an hour the babysitter realizes the kids are sound asleep they're not going to be needed so she decides gets a bit bored and wants to watch the television the problem is they don't have cable downstairs because the parents don't really want the children watching lots of junk so the only place is cable is in the parents bedroom so out of courtesy, the babysitter decides to give the parents a call just to ask if it's okay to go in their bedroom. So she rings them up and she says, uh, look, the kids are sound asleep, I'm getting a bit bored downstairs. Is it okay if I go in your room to watch cable? And the father says, uh, yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's not a problem at all. Um, and she says, um, thanks very much. She said, um, the only thing is, I think I'll pull the curtains because uh, there's absolutely no way I can sit in your room watching television with that bloody creepy uh, angel statue in the garden looking at me. This is followed by silence on the phone. And the father says, uh, just grab the kids and get you and, you and the kids out of the house. I'm going to call the police. Because we don't have an angel statue. And about five minutes later, the police arrive. And they get in the house. And the babysitter and the two children are dead in pools of their own blood. And there is no angel statue in the garden. What are you doing right now? Are you slumped on your couch mindlessly flipping through the TV channels? 
Are you tiredly scrolling through your Facebook feed for the 15th time today? Well, shut that stuff down and get off of your lazy bum because we're going on an adventure. What? It's one in the morning? Yes, I'm quite aware, but these types of adventures can only happen so late at night. You see, this is the time when all of the creatures that dare not be seen during the day can come out to play. With you. This is a time when the thick, velvet darkness of night will gladly wrap its fingers around you protectively, or the thing following behind you. Everything that hides from light can safely crawl out from their hiding spots so that they can find you, feed on your fear. This is the only time when you can see them up close. Is it safe, you ask? Just listen to my directions, and you'll be fine. Listen to my words, and you can make a friend for life and live to tell the tale. All right, got your shoes on and your jacket zipped up tight? Good. It's time to head out. You won't have to walk for very long on this adventure. Why? Because the thing we're going to visit doesn't live very far from you. You've probably walked past its head out many times during the day without noticing. But don't worry. You're not the only one. You haven't seen it, but it has seen you. Hundreds of times. It knows your face by heart. From the deep color of your eyes to that freckle you have on your cheek. But don't worry, it's this creature's knowledge of you that will keep you alive. Long enough for you to get away, that is. Why? You sure ask a lot of questions. But I'll tell you. This thing has lived alone for so long, prowling around in the suffocating dark, musty rooms underground. It moans and groans as it moves, those long, sharp nails screeching as they're dragged across the cracked concrete floors. Its wrinkled claws have been covered in blood so many times. The skin on its hands is no longer white, but a dark, dark red. So red it looks black. It has no one, but that is for the best, since its desire for company is sometimes overruled by its thirst for blood. Your blood, really. Human blood. Oh look, you've made it! Surprised. I can see the recognition on your face. Yes, this is the building just a few streets down from your home. The one that's always in a state of renovation. But is it really? Have you ever seen anyone go in, or better yet, come out? Ah, uh, now you're starting to remember. Whenever you walked by this building, did a feeling of unease start to creep over you? That sense that someone, or something, was watching you? You probably sped up a little on your walk back home ignoring the hairs that stood up on the back of your neck, or the small goosebumps that ran across your flesh as you convinced yourself that you were just in a hurry to get back to your couch and relax. That's what I thought. Well, there's no turning back now. Slowly walk up to the front entrance. No, the door won't be locked, and don't ask why. Open the door and step into the lobby. Yes, I know it's dark, but you're going to have to deal with it. Like I said, nothing that lives in the dark will like any kind of light. You should be able to see a large, empty desk in front of you. See it? Good. Now walk up to the desk and reach over to the divider with your left arm. No, don't try and peek over the divider. They won't like it. Just reach and feel around. Your hand may brush some objects that feel questionable. Ignore them. There are many things on that desk, but what you're searching for is a key. Do you feel it? 
The tiny, cold object with rigid edges? Perfect. Grab it. Wait. Don't pull your hand back yet. There's still one more thing to grab if you want to walk out of this mostly intact. There should be something that feels like a small glass bottle. Don't ask what's inside it. Just get it. Good. Now you can pull your hand back. Make sure to put both the key and the bottle in the safety of your pocket before you move on. Now, there's a specific door that you're going to have to find in order to continue your adventure. Blink for a second and it's easy to miss. But don't worry, that's why I'm here. Walk down the corridor adjacent to the lobby. It should be lined with various doors, but don't try and open any of them. They're all locked for a reason. What you can do, however, is count how many doors there are. Make sure to count in your head. One, two, three. Shh, walk quieter. Your footsteps are echoing off the marble floors too loudly. You can't let it know that you're here yet. Four, five, six. Okay, it looks like you've reached the end of the corridor. Now how many doors did you count on your way here? Six, you say? Wrong. Look again. No. Don't turn around completely. Don't even turn your head. Just look from the corner of your eye. There. You see it? That little black door hiding right behind you? That's the one. What's that? You feel unsure about this? Well, there's no point in turning back now. In fact, you can't. You see, there's only one way out of this building. And it's through that little door. No, you can't walk back through the corridor because whatever is hiding behind those other locked doors will only let you walk past them once, not twice. If you try to, let's just say those doors can't hold them back. Are we on the same page now? Good. Now slowly turn the handle on the door 180 degrees exactly. No more, no less. Anything else will alert it of your presence. Slowly. Almost there. And perfect. You nearly let the handle slip, didn't you? Wipe those sweaty palms on your pants before you get yourself killed on accident. Okay, now pull the door carefully and ease yourself through the opening. A musty odor will wash over you, so try to take shallow breaths if it gets too overwhelming. What's the smell? I'm honestly not too sure. I can only guess, but I think it's best if you don't hear about it. Whoa! Be careful! There's a steep flight of steps in front of you that leads down into a set of underground rooms. Yes, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to shut the door behind you and cut off any remaining light. The passageway is filled with the thickest darkness you're ever going to experience, but it only lasts for a bit. Don't worry, there's nothing here in this part that will try and harm you, I think. Enough of that. Your only choice is to move forward, so don't second-guess yourself. Make sure to place your hand on the wall and feel your way as you walk down the steps. Some of them are slippery, so be sure to keep your balance. Slippery with what, you say? I'd like to say puddles of water, but I think we both know that it's not water. As you walk, make sure to count the number of steps you take. It will come in handy later on. It is quite eerie to hear the soft sound of your sneakers scraping against the stone steps. 
yet not being able to see anything, is it? Right now, your senses are working at their highest capacity, making up for your loss of sight. You can hear every raspy breath that shudders through your throat. You can feel every dip and crack in the cool brick that makes up the wall currently beneath your fingers. You can literally taste the air. It has a metallic tang mixed with a stench of rotting trash that makes you want to desperately gag. What number are you on? 57? Good. Keep counting. Don't lose track of those steps. Oh. What was that? You feel like something's breathing on your neck? Warm, moist air brushing across your back? That's because there is. No, don't react. Don't stop walking. Yes, I did say nothing would harm you. I didn't say that there was nothing that couldn't harm you. Just keep counting your steps. It will keep you sane. This thing will try to trip you up to distract you from your task at hand. But don't pay attention to it. Pay attention to the numbers. Yes, it will keep edging closer and closer to you until you... No! What are you doing? Don't reach back. Don't touch it. Don't. You felt it, didn't you? You felt the slimy texture of decaying flesh on your fingertips. You felt the greasy strands of unkept hair falling across your knuckles. The mistake has been made. There's nothing you can do except keep moving on and to not react. Act like that touch was an accident and that you thought it was part of the wall. Because if you react, if you flinch in disgust or scream in horror, it will know. It will know that you know about it, and it doesn't want anyone to know about it. You're not a very good listener, are you? In any case, finally, you've reached the end of the steps. Have you kept track of your numbers? Yes? Good. Yes, it's still there. I know you can sense it, but you've got to ignore it. Keep that number in your head and don't forget it. It's trying to make you forget by making you scared. Don't let it succeed. Now that you're at the bottom of the steps, I need you to take ten strides forward to another door. Here's the hard part. The thing that was falling behind you on the way down? Well, now it's standing in front of you, right next to the door. In order to get out of this passageway, you're going to have to act like you can see. I know it will be difficult, but you've got to trust me. Reach your hand out and feel for the knob. It shouldn't be too far since you are standing right in front of the door. If you accidentally touch the thing again, just keep moving your hand around and search for the knob. Do not react. Ah, there it is. The cool metal of the doorknob is finally in your grasp. Now take that key you got from the desk earlier and insert it into the keyhole on the knob. Try not to scrape it on the metal too much, or it will know that you can't see what you're doing and it will take full advantage of that. Good. You've managed to fit the key into the lock. Now turn the knob fully and pull the door open quickly. No, there's no trick to turning this doorknob this time. Once the door is open, just get through it and shut it as fast as possible so the thing can't follow you. Make sure to... Wait, look out. Watch out for the steps that drop into the room. You don't want to trip on it and mess this whole thing up, especially not when you're so close to freedom. You made it. This is the last room that you need to be in to get out of this building. Yes, the temperature has dropped quite drastically, hasn't it? Pull your jacket around you a little tighter and suck it up, because you're almost there. 
It's still very dark, I know, but there should be a faint light coming from the corner of the room, atop a small box. Can you see it? Yes, it's the glow of a dying candle. Why is there a candle down here? Well, to put it simply and honestly, it's bait. Bait for you. You see, this thing I told you about earlier has studied you long enough to know that most humans are attracted to light. It sees how you stay out of the shadows at night and stick to the bright shine of the street lamps. Even its underdeveloped and uncivilized mind can put two and two together. After all, it's got the mind of a hunter, and hunters know how to get their prey. And right now, it's watching you in this very room. You can't see it or hear it because it knows how to hide. It's perfected the art of hiding. Even that sixth sense that most people have that alerts them if something is watching them won't work with this thing. Carefully walk over to the light. Don't make any sudden movements. Pardon? Well, yes, I know I said it's bait, but do it anyways. Once you've reached the candle, sit down next to it and stare at it. Don't try and look at anything else, because you won't see anything. The darkness is too thick to reveal anything. I know you're probably scared at this point. You can feel your heart beating rapidly, desperately, trying to burst out of your chest with anxiety. Adrenaline is coursing through your veins 100 miles an hour, warming up your muscles and keeping your mind sharp. Your brain is ready to make the split-second decision of fight or flight. But no, don't pay attention to any of that. Just pay attention to one thing. Remember that number from earlier? Good. Now take that bottle out from your pocket. Yes, the one you got from the desk. Slowly unscrew the cap and place it on the floor next to you. Dip your finger into the liquid in the bottle and write that number on the box in the candlelight. Yes, I know it's warm and sticky, but that should be the least of your worries now. What is the liquid, you ask? I think we both know the answer to that. See... Whatever happens now is going to decide your fate. If you write the correct number, the thing will let you go without interruption, and you will have earned a friend for life, albeit a friend who will still watch you from the shadows, yet it will never let any other monsters harm you as long as you keep it company from time to time. But write the number down wrong, and, well, let's just hope you get it right, because if not, there's nothing that I can do to help you. Okay, have you written your number? Good. Close the bottle, set it down next to the box, and wait. That's right, you have to wait. It's currently crawling around the room to take a look at that number. In fact, it's actually right next to you at the moment, studying the figure you jotted down. Quite disturbing, no? Even with the candlelight, you won't be able to see it. And you definitely can't hear it. But maybe... Maybe if you try hard enough, you'll be able to smell it. Go on, take a whiff. There. You could smell it, couldn't you? The faint stench of rotting meat and death in general? Try even harder, and you'll be able to feel it. Because you see, right now, it's running the edge of its razor-sharp nails right next to the skin of your throat. Oh, you thought those goosebumps on your neck were from the cold temperature of the room? No. It is because your body somehow knows that this thing is sitting next to you, that it is reaching out for you with its claws in. Look, I believe it's made a decision. 
And? Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's not the right number. Yes. You heard me right. You wrote down the wrong number. It was one off. Oh, dear. I forgot to tell you to count the step you almost tripped on. My apologies. You really did seem like a very nice person. But unfortunately, I can't afford to lose this thing's friendship. After all, who else would protect me from the monsters? Hi, hi, for my family. It's Lisa again. I had one more scary story I just needed to tell you before I let this thing be completed for the night. So when I was younger, I used to go over at my best friend and next-door neighbor's house, Sonia, and we would read the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I know. Even the front page and the illustrations on there, the front cover, I mean, were fucking terrifying, honestly. But there was one story that stuck with me forever to this day. Think about it all the time. And I think it's really kind of what set off my interest. Well, part of the reason I'm interested in true crime and scary things. So I'm going to tell you that story right now. So this is from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Now, please note that there are like 13 different versions of this story. I believe the first time I ever saw it was in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But, you know. Uh, details may vary depending on how you read it or where you read it. So here it goes. Bill whistled as he strolled along through the park. He was on his way to meet his girlfriend, Sally. He could smell spring in the air. He jingled the engagement ring in his pocket and thought about asking Sally to marry him. Sally sat down on a park bench, and Bill kneeled down in front of her. Sally, Bill said, you are the most beautiful girl I have ever met. I love you, and I want you to be my wife. Will you marry me? Sally laughed and said, yes, I will marry you. As Bill gazed lovingly at his bride-to-be, his eyes lingered on the red velvet ribbon Sally always wore around her neck. Why do you always wear that red ribbon? Bill asked. Sally said, Bill, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill smiled at Sally and left the ribbon alone. Bill and Sally were married that June. Bill found a lovely little house in a nice little neighborhood, and they moved in. Bill bought Sally many party dresses, but Sally always wore a red ribbon with each outfit. Bill thought this was odd. Sally just smiled and said, I must never take off my red ribbon. After a few years, Sally found out she was going to have a baby. This news delighted Bill. Sally talked with her friends who had babies. Bill talked with his buddies who had children. They talked together late into the night about what they had learned from everyone. When the big day came, Sally said, please tell the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill was frustrated, but he promised Sally that he would tell the doctor. After the baby was born, Bill gave Sally flowers. Thank you for the flowers, Bill, Sally said, and thank you for telling the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill did not understand why the red ribbon was so important. Do you want to hold little Billy, Sally asked? Bill, Sally, and little Billy lived happily for many years in a small, lovely house in the nice neighborhood. When little Billy was a baby, he would sometimes reach for the red ribbon around his mother's neck. Sally would gently take his little hands in hers and coo at him, saying, Mommy must never take off her red ribbon. The red ribbon has frustrated Bill for a long time. 
He loved Dahlia with all of his heart but did not understand her need to wear the red ribbon. After many years, Bill had an idea. Our anniversary is coming up. I will buy Sally a beautiful necklace. She will take off that old red ribbon so she can wear the beautiful necklace. Their anniversary came, and Bill took Sally to a fancy restaurant overlooking Central Park. They had a delicious meal. Then Billy gave Sally a velvet box with a beautiful diamond necklace in it. She opened it, smiled, and tears came to her eyes. Bill put the necklace around her neck and started to take off the red ribbon. Sally stopped him. She said, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill sat back in his seat with a huff. He looked at Sally and shook his head. I may never understand, Bill said. Sally gently placed the diamond necklace back in the velvet box and closed the lid. It's lovely, Bill. I will treasure it always, but I must never take off my red ribbon. Why? Bill asked, as he had for so many years. Sally smiled sadly and shook her head. She did not answer him. Late that night, Bill was awake. Still, I've loved Sally for more than 20 years, but she insists on wearing that horrible red ribbon around her neck. I think it's about time I found out why. Bill got out of bed, walked around to Sally's side. Bill carefully pinched the ends of the bow on the ribbon. He began to slowly pull on the ribbon. The bow became smaller and smaller. The loops of the bow pulled through and only half a knot was left. Bill slid his finger under the half knot and tugged. Zip! The red ribbon gave way. Sally's head came off. It rolled right to the floor, bouncing in the moonlight. One large tear fell from Sally's eye. I warned you, she said. And that is the story of the woman with the red ribbon around her neck. Have a good night, guys, and happy Halloween again. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good whatever the hell, wherever the hell you may be on this beautiful All Hallows' Eve. Happy Halloween, my friends. This is my personal favorite holiday. Your boy Matty Ice, by the way, checking in co-host of I for an Eye podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone who reached out and left us one of your harrowing stories with the paranormal and experiences of the beyond. I would like to leave you with one of my own personal stories. In a way, it was frightening. In a way, it was moving and eye-opening. But I'll just tell you guys, it was a really, really cool experience. So I'll tell you this. I was 18. I was leaving northern Maryland, driving to the Jersey Shore in my old Chevy Trailblazer by myself. It was about a six-hour drive. And this was back in 2010. Okay, guys? So... You didn't have your iPhone GPS to pull up the screen and, you know, the Garmin GPS. I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old. I was driving and I knew where I was going. I knew where my interchange was and I knew how to get there. So I followed, I think, a MapQuest map or something. But long story short, I'd spent a week sleeping on the ground. 
working at a Habitat for Humanity site. So I was pretty tired, no doubt about it. I had been driving for about four or five hours. I left a lot later than I was supposed to. I should mention that. Uh, my mom was really pissed. But I left too late in the day, and it was getting to be around nighttime. And I was exhausted, like I say. I could feel myself sort of drifting off into that, I'm getting really tired, I'm getting sleepy mode almost. I'm on the highway, mind you, doing about 80 at that point. And I started doing everything I could do. You know, I still had about three hours left in the trip. And I'm slapping myself in the face. I'm throwing cold water on my face. I stopped and got out and did jumping jacks at one point. I called my mom, my brother, two of my best friends. And I, you know, I played music real up. So that helped for about an hour. But it was dark at this point. And this is where it gets kind of weird, guys. I just could not help but start to drift into sleep. And I was struggling, keeping my eyes open, and as I said, doing everything I could. But I could feel that I was sort of drifting on and off the road a little bit, and I was kind of, you know, I didn't want to pull over. I didn't know where I was exactly. And as dangerous as it was, I was just sort of like in that sleep state. I wasn't really thinking too clearly. I was sort of half asleep, half awake. But this is where it gets kind of weird. So I started to drift off. And I fell asleep, and the car kind of coasted left on me in toward the barrier. And no joke, guys, um, my paps had died probably about, say, two years before this, a little less than two years before this happened. And uh, I heard someone call my name. And I'm sure it was him. I heard it was it was his voice. He said, Matt, wake up. And no joke, he put his hand on my chest and almost sat me up straight in my seat. And I shot up like a cannon. And I woke up out of that sleep. And I was as alert as if I drank 30 Red Bulls. And I kind of swerved back onto the road. I swerved over three lanes after, you know, kind of getting back to grips with where I was. And I cried for like 20 minutes because I swear my pap-pap was sitting there next to me and he saved my life or I would have wrecked that car and probably died. And I don't know if that was a paranormal experience or if that was somebody looking out for me, but in today's day and age and on this Halloween night, I think it's important to remember that these stories are sometimes positive and that sometimes somebody's looking out for us. And tonight, I want to send a message of peace to all of you because we need that. And thanks to all of you for listening and for sending in any contributions you may have. We love our listeners. We love all of you. Happy Halloween from Eye for an Eye podcast. My lovely co-host Lisa and, of course, your boy, Matty Ice.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.